Hello and welcome to Great Ridge Station, a place to sit back and relax while waiting for your train to board. I'm your host, Sam Helgerson, and I'm pretty much a fixture around these parts. The goal here at the depot is to help you strengthen your own practice of leadership, no matter where you serve. Every episode will give you not only the background theory, but some practical tools that you can use right away. Great Ridge Station is a service of Great Ridge Group, LLC. Thanks for stopping in on your way through. Season 1, Episode 17. This is sort of an unexpected episode. Some might call it a rant, some might call it a screed, perhaps a diatribe, and some might call it musings on life and leadership. A couple of weeks ago, I started to see a lot of stuff about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It had come across my various news feeds, and that was quite a bit of it, actually. And that's what prompted this episode. For those of you who are new to the study of leadership, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is a way of looking at human motivation. Abraham Maslow's work dates to about 1943. I want you to think about that for a moment. You could argue this point, and I probably will, but leadership as a discipline of study dates back to about 1977 with the publication of James McGregor Byrne's book, Leadership. Maslow's work predated that by roughly 35 years. Maslow did some groundbreaking work, and really from the dark ages of leadership studies. Maslow made the argument that people are motivated on a scale based on five different characteristics. These are typically shown in a pyramid with the lower level needs at the bottom, and then move upward toward the higher level needs. Now here's his list, slightly paraphrased to get closer to the terminology that we're familiar with, but here goes. At the bottom, the base of the pyramid, we find physiological. These are the basic needs of food, water, clothing. The needs are the basic requirements for keeping my body running. The next level up is safety and security. You can pick either one, safety or security. They're both used. Shelter falls into this category, but not just as a place to live, but as a safe place to live. Now, it also includes questions of feeling comfortable in my workplace. Do I feel secure in my environment? Now, over the years, these bottom two levels have come to be known as hygiene factors. There's probably a really good Latin reason for that, but I don't know what it is, so we'll move on. The next three levels, as we move up the pyramid, are related to our emotional well-being. The next level, in the middle, is love and belonging. People need to feel like they're a part of a group, a team, a community, a family. In one sense, you wouldn't expect belonging to be a workplace need, but on the other hand, if you're honest with yourself, you know exactly why this is important. We all need to feel like we belong. The sense that these are my people. I am one of them. See, belonging matters. Up one level from that is esteem. Now, this is not about self-esteem. Maslow predates that idea. This is about being respected by others and accomplishing things that demonstrate your value to the communities that you're a part of. Think of this in terms of significance, but not in terms of, I feel good about being me, but in terms of, I am making a difference in the lives of others. This is related to the quality and the value of the work that you do. Now, the top-level need on the pyramid is about self-actualization, which is all about personal growth and development. 
and being able to become the sort of person that you're capable of being. Now, for most people, when they first learn about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it makes immediate sense to them. It's an aha moment. And here's the problem. It's bad theory. People are getting all excited about it again, and there's a lot of stuff written about it. But there is no research at all that says that this is how motivation really works. When I see the hierarchy of needs come across my line of sight, I have the slightly impolite thought that these people have no idea what they're talking about. In all the years since Maslow's theory came out, you would expect to find some research that would actually validate it, but there is none. The theory simply is not useful for leaders, and the biggest problem with it is that it makes complete intuitive sense and there's no research to back it up. Now, this is a a great place for my usual caveat of don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm a big fan of Abraham Maslow, and I appreciate a lot of the work he's done. So hear this. The hierarchy of needs is important not because it's a good theory, but because it was the first approach to try to put motivation into a meaningful structure. But you still shouldn't use it. Not to go all crabby pants about this, but if you're waving around Maslow's hierarchy of needs like it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, you're basically admitting you have no idea how motivational theories have developed since 1943. And really, the leadership blogs, the consultants, the websites that keep sending people back to it ought to be ashamed. If there is such a thing as leadership malpractice, that ought to qualify. Okay, back to Maslow. There's been a lot of work done since then, and in my not-so-humble opinion, one of the most important approaches came out in 1959. Hertzberg's two-factor theory built on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. His innovation was to separate motivators from dissatisfiers. Aha! Two factors. He suggested that the things that make us dissatisfied with our work are the hygiene factors, and those have nothing to do with the things that motivate us. In Hertzberg's model, motivators run on a scale from satisfaction to no satisfaction, and hygiene factors run on a contrary scale from no dissatisfaction to dissatisfaction. You could have the best job in the world, meaningful work, deep impact on others, a sense that you're making a difference, and you're highly motivated. But that will have nothing to do with the fact that you might totally be dissatisfied with your rodent-infested office. How many times have you heard someone say, I love what I do, but I hate the commute? That's the two-factor theory at work. Now, you may say, yeah, Sam, but you're just swapping one theory for another. And in fact, I would expect you to say that. In fact, I'd be disappointed if you hadn't. But I'm ready for you. A bit of quick and sloppy research shows that in the first 12 years after Hertzberg released his theoretical work, studies from around the world had successfully validated his assertions. In other words, the two-factor theory is good theory backed up by good data. This matters because as a leader, it's way more useful for you to know what motivates the people you serve and what demotivates them. Help people to be motivated, have a sense that they belong, and that their contributions are valued, that you're interested in investing in their personal growth. Design your organization around values that matter. The values episode of this podcast will help you make sense of that. More than ever, people want to be part of an organization that is driven 
by a compelling vision for the future. These days, motivation is the result of a cause, a purpose. But at the same time, the hygiene factors don't motivate us. They just keep us from being dissatisfied. Just like in Maslow's hierarchy, these include things like sufficient pay, good working environment, coffee, convenient location, diet Pepsi, being able to get back to your car at the end of the day without being assaulted, a good restaurant nearby or a cafeteria on site, and proper heating and air conditioning. Now, years ago, I had a great office. It was on the mezzanine above the manufacturing floor. It was noisy, it was smelly, and it was isolated, and I loved it. As an introvert, it was a great place for me to focus on my work, and I was just one staircase away from the people who I worked most closely with. Everyone else asked me, how can you ever work there? What a terrible place. For them, my office would have been a terrible dissatisfier. But for me, it was not. It was a good working environment. I loved that job, though, not because of my office, but because of the kind of work I got to do and the people that I got to interact with. See, in my life, that was a perfect example of how Frederick Hertzberg's two-factor theory works in real practice. Now, one more thing. I want you to know that I'm a fan of Abraham Maslow, so this is not about beating him up or impugning his character. He was brilliant, and he started us down a path that has led to a lot of our current understanding of human development and human motivation. My favorite thing from Maslow, though, is not his hierarchy of needs, but something that's, been, that's come to be known as Maslow's Hammer. In 1966, Abraham Maslow released a book called Toward a Psychology of Being. In it, he included a memorable line, and I quote, I suppose it is tempting, if the only tool you have is a hammer, to treat everything as if it were a nail. End quote. There's a lot of truth there. The better equipped we are to lead, the more likely it will be that we will have the right tool for the job. The less equipped we are, the more likely we are to just overuse the one or two practices that we know. When I was a kid, my dad took the time to teach me a few things about tools, and one of his rules was that a chisel is not a screwdriver. I hope it's not my fault that he had to share that with me, but I really don't remember. The truth is, tools are made for specific things, and having the right tool and knowing its proper use is essential to success. So for leaders, having the tools to lead and knowing how to use them can make a profound difference in your success. I think that's why I get so irritated when people are all enamored with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's not the right tool for the job. It was an important starting point, but it's not really useful to your practice as a leader. And don't be fooled by people who think it is. The research suggests otherwise, and the folks who promote the hierarchy of needs are stuck in the world of theory and not able to move it into practice. And that's not just my opinion. There's good research to back up the fact that Hertzberg's two-factor theory is actionable. If you know it, you can use it. Now, I'm not suggesting that Hertzberg has the final word. Theory and practice has developed a lot since then. But I use his model as an example of what good theory and good research can look like when they get tied together. Hertzberg improved our practice, but he's not a firm line in the sand. A lot of really impressive things have developed since his work was released. <laughs> Me, for instance. 
No, seriously, though, if you want to lead well, you're going to have to move beyond the hammer that everyone else has. And I'm afraid that Maslow's hierarchy of needs is simply that, a hammer in the hands of people who really need a different tool to be effective. That's it. So with regard and apologies to Abraham Maslow and Frederick Hertzberg, you know, there it is. But I felt obligated to share this with you. So if Great Ridge Station is helpful to you, follow me on Twitter at LJ Helgerson and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues and ask them to subscribe and give us a good recommendation, even a comment. I'd be really grateful. Thanks for joining us at Great Ridge Station. As the train boards and rolls on to its next destination, we hope you found your time here helpful. Consider what you've learned and what strategies and practices you can implement right now. If you have leadership questions that you'd like us to address, we'd love to hear from you, and you can find the questions link on our show page. We can't answer everything, but we'll watch for themes and big-picture questions and get to as many as we can. All content is developed by Dr. Sam Helgerson with appropriate citations of outside sources. Our sound engineer is Brick Martin. All background and bumper media is in the public domain and retrieved from archive.org. The opening music is from Guy Lombardo, Down by the River. The closing music is from Annunzio Montavani, Skyscraper Fantasy. Limited opportunities are available for supporting sponsorships. Contact information is available on our show page. I'm already looking forward to your next visit to Great Ridge Station. Bye-bye.